Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode 110 of the Lean Blog Podcast for January 27th, 2011. Today's podcast is sort of a podcast within a podcast because I'm presenting to you what is also being published as episode number three of a new podcast series I'm involved with for the Healthcare Value Leaders Network. And today I'm presenting one of those episodes, Dr. Jack Billy is our guest. So as always, I want to thank you for listening to the Lean Blog Podcast. And here is our Lean Healthcare Podcast with Jack Billy. Welcome to the Healthcare Value Leaders Network Podcast. Our mission is to fundamentally improve healthcare delivery through lean thinking. To learn more, visit www.healthcarevalueleaders.org. Hi, this is Mark Raven. Welcome to episode number three of our Lean Healthcare Leaders podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Jack Billy, Associate Dean for Clinical Affairs at the University of Michigan Medical School and Associate Vice President for Medical Affairs at the University of Michigan Health System. Dr. Billy is a professor of internal medicine and medical education, and he leads the Michigan Quality System the University of Michigan Health System's unified approach to improve quality, safety, efficiency, appropriateness, and service using lean tools and philosophy. Dr. Billy's research and leadership interests are in health services delivery and the use of community consortia for quality improvement. So in our podcast discussion today, Dr. Billy is going to talk about his work at the University of Michigan Health System, and especially about how that ties in to working with physicians and engaging them with the lean problem-solving process. You can hear all episodes of our podcast at www.healthcarevalueleaders.org slash podcast. And I hope you'll subscribe to us on uh, the Apple iTunes store. If you search for lean healthcare or healthcare value leaders, you should be able to find it there. Well, Jack, I want to thank you for taking time out of your, um, your day and your busy schedule to talk today. Um, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm really uh, delighted to be here. I've uh, learned a lot through working with the Healthcare Value Leaders Network and uh, the work that you've done, so uh, delighted to chat. Well, thanks, and it's a pleasure to have you as part of the network and, and here today. So I was wondering if you could start by you know, introducing yourself for the listeners, you know, who you are, what your roles are um, there at the university. Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Jack Billy. I'm a general internist. I've been at the university for 33 years. Uh, I've spent a lot of that time as Associate Dean for Clinical Affairs in the medical school, and I also have a role in the health system uh, to complement that. Uh, but uh, my most important work for the last five years has been as the what might be called the chief engineer or the senior deployment leader for the lean transformation for the University of Michigan health system. I'm curious maybe also in terms of introductions, you know, from, from your career um, as a physician and, and a leader, in the university and the health system, what was your first exposure to lean? I mean, you're there in Michigan, you have you know, the auto industry, you've got a lot of well-known lean people within the university. Um, where, where did your first exposure come to? And maybe you know, share, if you can, some of your initial reactions to lean from your medical background. Um, well, uh, so I'd been involved in problem solving in various administrative roles uh, for the central administration of the health system for many years, but had no um, formal model or role 
And uh, it was probably about seven years ago that Gary Kaplan, the CEO of Virginia Mason, who's uh, an alum of the University of Michigan, uh, w uh, was invited in to give a talk about uh, the use of lean thinking at Virginia Mason. And um, that really captivated me. I went to dinner with him that night, and we walked across the street to Borders Bookstore, and I bought a copy of Lean Thinking by Jim Womack, and I uh, really have never looked back since that time. It's so much sense to me to try and bring a much more comprehensive model uh, to our uh, problem solving. And uh, instead of having people all using their own sort of homegrown intuitive models, uh, some really not very robust for solving problems, it seemed like it made a lot of sense for us to pick a consistent problem-solving model across uh, the health system. So we've been working on that uh, pretty intently for the last five years. It's, um, I guess it's not surprising that you would mention um, Gary Kaplan's name. A previous guest we talked to, uh, Michelle Tetro, um, answering that question, also brought up um, Gary Kaplan as an um, initial introduction to lean. I mean, do, do you find it helpful in general with your colleagues and, and, and people you work with, um, is it helpful to hear it coming from another healthcare leader? Well, I think that it actually uh, takes both influences to really make the, uh, the point with individuals and organizations. And um, so we've learned a lot from folks like John Toussaint, uh, Gary Kaplan, and uh, folks at some of the other leading healthcare organizations that have adopted lean. Uh, in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. We've learned a ton from those healthcare applications. But we've also learned a lot from folks from industry, uh, from manufacturing, banking, and other industries. In fact, uh, GM, uh, who's located, of course, headquartered in Michigan, who's adopted uh, a lot of lean thinking in what they call the Global Manufacturing System, or GMS, uh, they gave us a, a leg up uh, by helping us facilitate the first uh, six learning projects we did. Um, so uh, if you ask healthcare organizations around the country, uh, you know, where are their, uh, where's their help coming from? A lot of time it's from the manufacturer. Uh, Toussaint talks about the snowblower manufacturer mm -hmm. down the road in Wisconsin, and uh, Gary Kaplan and Virginia Mason in Seattle had Boeing and uses Genie Enterprises now. So there's a lot of learning that uh, crosses industry. Um, it's interesting. There's some doctors uh, and nurses who seem to only be able to hear it when it comes from another healthcare person, and uh, they have trouble sort of translating the lessons in from other industries. And there's others who are really liberated in their thinking by seeing that, gee, these models work across a lot of different industries, having the frontline workers find and fix root causes, um, and they enjoy the challenge of translating it into healthcare. I mean, that's what really fascinates me. And uh, there are folks that, uh, that are also turned on by that. And they learn a lot from other industries, not just healthcare. So in the course of, of your leading and, and, and teaching and, and chief engineering uh, of, of these efforts, what, what are some of the key translation points or, or parallels that you draw, you know, uh, draw from or you know, speaking specifically um, to physicians who maybe don't feel that natural affinity or um, you know, curiosity to another industry? How, how do you translate it or, or relate it? Um, to, to physicians um, that, that are asking questions about, you know, well, what is transferable from a business or a manufacturing system? Well, it's really interesting. Steven Spear, who's now at uh, MIT and uh, IHI, uh, when asked the question, yeah, but, you know, uh, uh, people aren't cars. You know, mm -hmm. we, we fix people in healthcare, and, you know, they're not cars. 
Spear would answer, yeah, cars are much more complicated, and then go into uh, a long uh, discourse on all of the explosives and plastic bags and things that are packed in your uh, steering column that's located six inches from your face. Uh, and um, But without going there, I generally don't try and convince people that uh, building, designing and building an automobile might actually be more difficult than some of the things we do in healthcare. Um, so when I'm talking with uh, clinicians, especially doctors, what I try and do is make the analogy uh, between the kind of problem solving you do uh, using lean thinking and delivering great patient care. Uh, the analogy is almost perfect. Um, if you think of it, when a doctor uh, is confronted with a patient with a complex medical problem, uh, they, the first thing they do is go and see the patient. It's exactly the same as uh, the concept of Gemba, to go and see the problem with your own eyes, to the real place uh, where it occurs. And they take a history and physical in a very systematic fashion, not just sort of willy-nilly, uh, and um, th that's exactly the same thing we try and do with lean thinking, uh, a, a really systematic investigation of the way the work is done, things like value stream map and root cause analysis. Um, and then they actually distill their thinking in a, in a systematic problem-solving format that we call a history and physical impression and plans. And um, I, make, I make the analogy that that's qu quite similar to A3 problem-solving. Uh, where you're talking about why the problem's important, how it is now, uh, what the goal would be, what the root causes would be. Um, in the same way uh, that in the clinical example, uh, when we face a difficult patient, we don't just treat the symptoms. We try and understand the, the real cause and get at some uh, diagnosis and treatment uh, steps that will, um, that will try and address the underlying problem with the physiology. Uh, the same way in lean thinking, we try not to jump to solutions. We want to try and understand deeper root causes. Um, so the analogy just keeps going along. We present our information in a systemized format in history and physical. We don't just blab on about a patient. We have a very standardized way of presenting patients. Likewise, we have standardized way in lean thinking using A3 format for presenting our thinking so we can build consensus on problems. And with patients, we run tests and and try treatments as far as knowing that they may not work, we arrange follow-up to see what happened. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I think the analogy is really quite complete. So all of our clinicians, what I tell them is lean thinking is just like taking a good history and physical on a problem, uh, trying to figure out what's wrong, and then uh, uh, trying some uh, tests and treatment, and then doing some follow-up. It's the kind of thing they do naturally in the clinical environment. I just want them to transfer that same analytic skill and rigor uh, to the problems that they confront every day in the way they're getting their work done, problems that cause uh, um, that jeopardize patient safety or make work more efficient, that frustrate the workers. Mm -hmm. um, those problems can be approached exactly with the, exactly the same rigor it learned. Yeah, so when you use the word standardized, I and mean, I was about to ask you how that might tie, what you described might tie into, you know, the, the lean framework of, of standardized work. Um, the idea, you know, sometimes you hear, you know, we talk about complexity, you know, people will say, well, you know, every patient is different. But what I hear you describing is that that doesn't mean you reinvent the process for what you do when that, you know, unique patient is there in front of you. Right. I mean, how do, you, how do you see the role? Yeah. I guess the question of the follow-up would be, you know, are, are you able to show how standardization doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, limiting or, or you know, overly um, constraining? 
Right. Well, the key to standardizing, Mark, is um, which things to make standard work around and to try to standardize. So uh, just as you said, um, you know, we're not trying to turn this into, quote, uh, you know, cookbook medicine or cookbook problem solving. But no matter how complex a patient, we still start with uh, taking a history, trying to decide what the chief complaint is, what the main problem is, what's the thing that's most likely to harm this patient in the shortest period of time. How can we intervene on that most quickly? Um, and so uh, th there's parts of medicine that are really very standardized. Um, the way we collect our information, the fact that we uh, try not to jump to treatments before we've uh, tried to understand what's causing various problems. <clears throat> and, uh, and implementing all our steps with patients we do as experiments, if you will. Um, you know, sometimes they're actually formal science experiments, that is, uh, we're conducting research. Uh, but a lot of the time, we're, you know, we're giving a person, uh, we're doubling the diuretic. We want to see if we have the expected result. Um, so uh, that same approach, which is using the scientific method, we try to apply that to patient care. And so I try to help clinicians see they're going to use that same standardized approach to uh, uh, trying to solve the problems they face in work every day. You know, some of our folks at the University of Michigan and actually many other healthcare entities across the country are also engaged in research. And the interesting thing is when they're in the laboratory or they're conducting a clinical trial with a patient, when they're doing real research, uh, they, they know the importance of standardizing everything so that when we vary something, we have a reasonable assurance that the outcome is related to what we've varied rather than mm -hmm. to just vagaries in the conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and so we try to, you know, use that same uh, uh, rigor when we're trying to improve our daily work, uh, try to standardize whatever we can so that when we vary something, we get a different outcome. We actually can draw some conclusion, can learn from that, and that informs uh, the next experiment that we'll run. Right. So we found, uh, yeah, physicians are really uh, um, can uh, can gravitate to that. It's not the challenge of um, applying this method that I find most problematic for physicians. It's actually the fact that many of them uh, consider themselves kind of like victims of the process. Uh, they don't believe they can change the process. Uh, they uh, they see how it could be done better. Uh, but um, they often fall into the trap of saying, well, it's those, you know, the five who's rather than the five whys. You know, those clerks don't understand, you know, how I'm doing my work. They want me to do this differently. And, you know, it's a lot of classic things like you'd find in manufacturing where uh, people have prejudices and biases about the, the people who are upstream and downstream from them. They don't really know how the work is done. And um, if we can, when we get them involved in value stream mapping, or in root cause analysis, and you, you can see the, uh, the scales uh, falling away from their eyes. I can't tell you how many times we've had value stream map or an A3 with docs involved, and they look at the mess on the wall, you know, when they're doing yeah. a map, and they say, I can't believe what a mess this is. I can't believe a patient ever makes it through. Who designed this process? And, of course, no one designed it. <laughs> right. it's, just, it's just the accretion of responses to regulatory requests and third-party billing and some other customer service initiative, and before you know it, you've got a, uh, a, an incredibly complex process to get work done. And then we, you know, once they have that aha moment and they realize how complex and unnecessarily error-prone the process is, then 
you know, you start to see them uh, become uh, uh, empowered and motivated. And instead of being victims of the process, they try to, you know, take it on and say, well, why, why can't we do that? What about this? What yeah. about that? Well, and what you're describing there um, sounds like, you know, a translation of, you know, principles and problem-solving processes uh, as opposed to uh, just a, an application of, um, of, of lean tools. And, and I, I would presume that you know, the, the, those principles tapping into the physician thought process, uh, the, the scientific process you refer to, um, is, is, is helpful in getting them involved in, in looking at the process. And I was wondering maybe if you could share some examples of um, some of that, that process of improvement or um, some of the other uh, work that's been done there in the University of Michigan Health System, because I know this has been you know more than just a uh, you know an academic exercise, if you will, correct? Sure, um, and it's uh, it's really um, interesting. Uh, you know, we all want to use lean thinking as a fundamental business strategy, a holistic model of approaching our work. What is the purpose? Who are the customers? And what problems do they have? How can we solve them completely? Uh, what are the processes and how do they work uh, and who are the people uh, to to systematically analyze. But, of course, everyone focuses on the tools. And, uh, you know, we all want to make sure that Lean is more than just the application of simple tools because you only get so far using the tools. Right. So on the one hand, you know, first first we actually train people in all the tools. Uh, when If we're doing a, a, a program, we'll actually train them about the tools because until they understand the tools, it's very hard for them to see how this fits together as a holistic problem-solving model, and the tools are really powerful. On the other hand, if they just you know, stop with the tools, then they can only go so far. So as John Shook says, no matter where you start, it's the wrong place. Uh, you know, you'd wish you'd done it uh, a little bit differently. So, um, but in the, in the programs, uh, w the places that we've applied this within the U of M health system, um, you know, we've worked virtually soup to nuts. We have projects in our cardiovascular center. Um, we had had a worsening of our length of stay in cardiac surgery. And uh, we tracked down some of the root causes were related to um, problems with handoffs coming out of the OR. So made, we made standard work around the handoffs. The people themselves, the, the anesthesiologist, the nurse receiving the patient in the ICU, they, they developed a uh, standardized handoff process with a form. Uh, they have a specific uh, handoff um, uh, exchange uh, that can't be interrupted. And as a result of that and some other interventions that arose out of that, we were able to cut two days off the simple cardiac surgery length of stay. We did a similar project in our uh, neuro ICU uh, where our neurosurgery cases were uh, being managed. And between the neuro ICU and the floor, we were able to cut a little more than half a day length of stay. Uh, by um, the, the work, the way it was done before was really quite random, and by uh, making standard work and the, the way handoffs were done, the way the floor nurses interacted with the neurosurgeons and the neurosurgery residents, standardizing those interactions uh, really worked uh, worked wonders. Um, but if you look at the last five years, we've spent a lot of time in what would be, we would call point improvements. So we were able to get all the cases to start in our children's OR on time. So for the first time ever, we had 100% first case start time. And um, what happened that day? All the cases backed up in recovery uh, because we weren't thinking about flow. So over the last year, we spent a lot of time trying to move from point improvement to flow 
improvement and to system improvement. We've commissioned a group of, um, uh, of what we call major patient journey value streams and uh, have conveners working on those. At the same time, over the last five years, we spent a lot of our time in the people development model, but mostly focused on individual learning. And so this last year, we've started a bunch of experiments in um, local implementation teams where we'll work with 30 or 50 workers in a particular clinic or a particular area, um, helping them all um, implement, create standard work for themselves, implement the standard work, and then using visual controls that they keep themselves, they and their manager, uh, uh, um, culling what are the most common problems occurring today, visually presenting them, paradoing them, and then solving them. And so we're, we're trying to move out of the basement of these two buildings, the people development building where we were stuck in um, uh, primarily point learning, that is individual learning, and the process improvement building where we're stuck in point improvements, mm -hmm. trying to move up to the second and third floor in each of those buildings. Well, yeah, and that, that seems like quite a, a natural evolution that uh, other organizations have, have gone through over time, I think. Um, well, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Jack Billy um, from the University of Michigan. Um, the time has, has passed quickly um, here uh, with the podcast. I want to thank you for sharing um, some of your thoughts and, and perspectives of um, your you know, uh, evolution with Lean, uh, both personally and um, at the university. Um, do, you, do you have any, any final thoughts um, for the listeners that, um, that you might want to share as a, a wrap-up? Well, I, I, we have learned an enormous amount. Uh, we still have uh, a tremendous amount to learn. Uh, but, uh, you know, our goal, our motto for the Michigan Quality System is 20,000 problem solvers. That's how many people we have working and training at the University of Michigan. Um, so not the small cadre of the Kaizen Promotion Office, but rather uh, every person in the organization. And we found our frontline workers and our trainees are enormous resource uh, for that kind of improvement. So, um, you know, we're on, we're on the journey. Uh, we're learning along with uh, many of the other organizations in the country. We're glad to share some of what we've tried and what we've learned, and we look forward to learning more from our many colleagues. Thanks very much, Mark. I really enjoyed talking to you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Value Leaders Network podcast. For more information, please visit our site at www.healthcarevalueleaders.org. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.